Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, binge drinking in teenagers has dropped off the cliff in the last 20 years. But why? Was it the anti-booze campaigns? Not bearsies. The bearsie, that's water. The health messages. The link between alcohol and cancer is stronger and broader than realised, according to a new study out of Otago University. The parents. But we're just encouraging parents to be uh, more aware of what their kids are picking up on, because bottom line is kids absorb mum and dad's drinking. Or is it just not cool anymore? Well, that's exactly what Jude Ball has been looking into. She's a research fellow at the University of Otago in Wellington, and she's just published the first New Zealand study into the reasons for the decline. And there are a few surprises. It is like a jigsaw puzzle, and some pieces stubbornly don't fit. In 2015, she was actually looking into the sharp drop in smoking among teens when she accidentally came across an article about alcohol abstinence in Australian young people, which really piqued my interest because at that time, 2015, almost every week there was something in the newspaper about drunken youths or young people in ED with alcohol poisoning. Information from the Ministry of Health says there were more than 4,000 alcohol-related hospitalisations during the 2016-17 period. And young women, wow, young women right up there. I think they leave the stats on this. It's not something to be proud of. That made me curious. I thought, well, surely that can't be happening in New Zealand. But when I looked at the figures from this Youth 2000 survey, actually binge drinking had gone down amongst school-aged young people. And sure enough, there are other behaviours that also follow the same pattern. So teenage pregnancy has declined, adolescent crime rates are down, dangerous driving. So all of these kind of risk behaviours, all there's been quite a major shift in, in young people over the last 20 years or so. It's a really fascinating puzzle, particularly the, the alcohol aspect, because, you know, if anything, our alcohol environment has liberalised in recent years. We lowered the drinking age in 1999 and, and alcohol's become cheaper as well. So you'd expect that would lead to more drinking among young people and yet there's been this phenomenal decline. So Jude, can we just um, go into some more detail on that, the mm-hmm. background to this study? Because sure. as we all know, for years, for decades, young people have been binge drinking. Uh, we drank ha- between us half a bottle of gin. And then, then two bottles of wine. Then we went to a BYO where we could have... A bottle of wine each. So we, Is it fair to say that you drink to get drunk than when you drink? Entirely, 100%. I do not drink, I do not enjoy the taste of alcohol. Yes. I don't like, aim to get too drunk, but yeah. I usually it do it because enjoyment. We kind of say it's part of the, the Kiwi culture, don't we? Yeah, not just the Kiwi culture. I mean, this is common to other English-speaking countries in particular. Um, and I think that's what's even more extraordinary about this sudden decline is that it follows this long period where health promoters and policy makers and educators have been doing their best to try and turn this around with almost no success at all. And then suddenly binge drinking falls off a cliff for no obvious reason. Looking at these figures, binge drinking fell off sharply from 40% in 2001 to 23% in 2012. So those are the figures for New Zealand secondary school students taken from the Youth 2000 series. Okay, so that's in 2001, 40% of adolescents would say that they were binge drinking. In the past month. 
So it's a high figure. Shocking, because adolescence, we're talking about what age? So that's secondary school students, so I guess 13 through to 18. Um, and in this particular study, I zeroed in on the under 16-year-old group um, because we know that binge drinking at an early age is predictive of long-term harm. Um, and also because of brain development, we know a bit more about brain development um, and the vulnerability at that young adolescent age. Um, and when you look at that younger group, so under 16, 13 to 15-year-olds, 33% or about one in three reported binge drinking in the past month in 2001. So it went down slightly to one in four in 2007, and then it declined really sharply. So it almost halved in, in the five years between 2007 and 2012. When you say long-term harm, binge drinking causes long-term harm, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, there are questions about whether it's causal or not, um, but certainly there's clear evidence that young people who start drinking young are more likely to have substance abuse issues as adults. So whether that's a causal thing to, to, to do with brain chemistry or wiring, or whether it's more about the environment that they might be living in, um, so people who, young people who have problems at home or living in difficult circumstances, they're more likely to binge drink. Um, so it might be those circumstances that are leading to the long-term harm. It's a bit difficult to disentangle. And as you said, the, this sharp drop-off in binge drinking happened around the same time that alcohol was getting cheaper, it was more accessible, and the age for buying it was lowered from 20 to 18 years. So kind of interesting environment that this change was going on. And um, when we look internationally, there are similar patterns. In Sweden, for example, because they joined the EU, the alcohol tax declined suddenly, so alcohol suddenly got cheaper. But rather than young people drinking more, they actually drank less. You know, it's puzzling researchers around the world, and there is more and more research coming out. But some of the results are quite contradictory and so we're, it's, we're still a long way from fully understanding what's going on. OK, well, I'll talk about those, those results a bit further on and why those results are contradictory. But did you go in with some of your own ideas? I'm looking yeah. at your paper here and talking about parental monitoring, family attachment, mm -hmm. academic aspirations equals lower binge drinking. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of risk and protective factors that we know are associated with binge drinking. And we also knew already that some of those, the exposure to some of those risk and protective factors had changed. So, for example, um, having a part-time job, interestingly, is a risk factor for binge drinking because I guess if you've got more money, then alcohol becomes more affordable. Um, and we knew that the proportion of secondary school students with a part-time job had fallen dramatically over this period. Oh. Um, we also knew that parental monitoring had increased, so that means parents knowing where their children are and who they're with at all times. Mm. Helicopter um, parenting. <laughs> yeah, so parents do keep a closer eye on their teenagers now than in the past. So that's that's a measurable change over that period. Um, there's also been changes in the school setting. So I went to school in the 80s when caning was still the thing. And happily we've seen a real shift from a more authoritarian style of schooling and school structure to a much more supportive style. And again, that's measurable in the data. 
So young people are much more likely to report that teachers treat students fairly. They're more likely to report a sense of belonging at school um, and they're more likely to report that they plan to finish school to the end. So that's been a big shift. Young people are staying at school longer. And I guess over that time, there's been so much more awareness about the impact of binge drinking. Yeah, I think that is something that's really changed. And I think the link with cancer is quite new. For those that enjoy a tipple, the latest internationally published paper may stop you reaching for that next glass. Everyone always knew that alcoholism was bad for your health. And, you know, if you drank super heavily, you were going to destroy your liver. Um, But I don't think there was an awareness that the kind of casual binge drinking that's normal in New Zealand society, that could also be damaging from a health point of view. I mean, it might give you a hangover, but now, yeah, we're much more aware of cancer risks. Also, I think there's more awareness of the social harms, you know, the link with violence and domestic violence, certainly the link with road safety. You know, we've had probably 30 years of advertising campaigns. George is driving. He's too wasted. I should say something, but I could look dumb in front of Monique. Which have really shifted the culture around drink driving. No, you're too drunk, Bri. Just crash here. Um, so I think all of those things have fed into a bit more scepticism about whether alcohol is always a good thing. Legend. That takes us to the conclusions of mm-hmm. the study. What did you find? What we were interested in finding out is whether some of those contextual changes around what young people are doing with their leisure time, their relationships with family at home and their attachment to school, um, because we've seen big shifts in those factors, we wondered whether collectively they might help to explain this decline in binge drinking. Um, And we were also curious about alcohol-specific factors like changing attitudes to drinking. And what we found is that the alcohol-specific factor, which was attitude to drinking, was by far the strongest explanatory factor for this decline. And were you surprised about that? Um, I was surprised that the contextual factors, which some some of them had really shifted quite a lot in that period, in that 11, you know, 11 years, um, and yet they were very minor if you know, had very minor impacts in terms of binge drinking decline. So I expected that to be bigger. When you say attitudes, do you mean that it's not cool to get drunk? Well, the question that young people were asked is, is it okay for people your age to drink alcohol regularly? So the proportion that answered yes declined massively over that period. And so, interestingly, that question wraps up two different things. It's attitude to alcohol per se, but it also measures the age at which it's okay to drink, according to young people. Um, And another clear factor in this whole picture is that young people are starting to drink later. They're starting to smoke later. When you say later, what, what age are you talking about? When you look at the average over time, it's shifted. The average has shifted by maybe a year or a year and a half. So it's not massive, mm. but it means that instead of typically starting to smoke in year ten, fourth form, mm. um, and we're talking about more, maybe fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, fourteen or fifteen year olds. It's people are more likely to start smoking in young adulthood now than they used to be. 
Right. You so know, and anywhere in between those ages. But it means that our measure at year 10, 14 and 15 years, we've seen this massive drop-off. But partly that's a delay, you know. It's not necessarily that those fourth formers are never going to become smokers, but if they become smokers, they're going to do so later. And there's a little bit the same, although not as not as intense, but a bit of a delay effect with binge drinking as well. Mm-hmm. So we see much bigger declines in the under-16 age group than in the 18 to 24s, say. Still a decline in that older age group, but yeah. not as dramatic. And another fascinating thing about this topic is it's quite different from adult trends. So we're actually seeing increases in hazardous drinking in the 25-plus age group in New Zealand, um, and in every age group, I think, until you get to about 75. Um, and that's probably about, you know, the boozy teenagers from the 80s and 90s growing up and continuing on their heavy drinking habits. Being boozy adults. Mm-hmm. And when you say that some of the results were contradictory, what do you mean by that? There's been studies overseas that seem to show that one of the big factors is that young people are spending less unsupervised time with their friends. So they're going out less at night, and that means less opportunity for any kind of risk behaviour, drinking, smoking, sex, crime, whatever, um, which really makes sense. And we expected to see... So one of the variables we looked at was um, time hanging out with friends, and we expected to see a big change in that um, and a big link to the binge drinking decline, and yet we didn't. So it could be about the question that was asked. The question was quite broad. So it asked how much time do you spend so on a typical day, but it didn't ask whether they were supervised or whereabouts they were hanging out with their friends, and it didn't even specify whether it was face-to-face. So possibly in the later cohorts, young people might answer that they're hanging out with their friends when they're actually, you know, on a chat room with them. Mm. So it could be that our measuring was just not very good and that's why we didn't pick that up as as a key factor. So let's recap. So far, we have studies that young people aren't binge drinking like the previous generations. They're not smoking as much either, or indulging in other risky behaviour. They're being sensible, staying children for longer, hanging out with their families. It's probably because they're all at home on their screens, right? Well, it's more complicated than that. There are multiple studies showing that parents attitudes and behaviours around alcohol in particular have changed. So parents, are, on average, are less permissive than they used to be and less likely to supply their teenagers with alcohol because p- parents are one of the main suppliers of alcohol to young people. So studies in the Netherlands and Australia, for example, have shown that those parenting changes are re- a really big driver of the decline in binge drinking, mm. but that's something we haven't tested in New Zealand yet. Oh, okay. Um, But one really interesting finding that I'm totally scratching my head about was that, so young people were asked, do your parents drink or smoke or use cannabis in the home? And the proportion of young people who said their parents drink at home fell enormously between 2001 and 2012, even though in the general adult population, drinking hadn't declined greatly. 
So that leaves me wondering, well, are parents more aware of their modelling of drinking behaviour and are avoiding drinking at home in front of their teens? That's interesting, yeah. Or, I mean, maybe it's a financial thing that families with teenagers in the house are, you know, really feeling the financial squeeze and and alcohol has, you know, is not on the menu anymore. Um, But it's really interesting and it could be part of a a constellation of parental changes behaviour changes that might be behind this trend, but it's not something we've been able to look at yet. No. And what about time spent on screen? Because in that Mm -hmm. period of time, that has increased hugely, hasn't it? Yes, it has. So that's a really really popular idea to explain this big shift in adolescent behaviour that we've seen. Um, and it does, on the face of it, it really makes sense. But this is where some of the findings um, are contradictory. So there are several reasons why that explanation is not satisfactory. First is that the declines began before social media was really widely used among young people. So it's around 2008, 2009 that social media really took off. And smartphones, of course, are even later, more like 2013 whereas the decline in binge drinking started more like 2001, 2002. Um, But it did really accelerate during that period when social media was taking off. Mm. Um, But one of the other curious factors is that although this pattern of declining risk behaviour is common to many Western countries, all of the English-speaking countries and much of Europe, but there are outliers like Italy, for example, where they haven't seen a decline in binge drinking. In fact, I think it went up over this period. And, of course, young people are spending more time on the screens there as well, so it doesn't seem to be a, a direct cause and effect thing. And the other, the other research finding is that, in fact, screen time and binge drinking are complementary rather than substitutes for each other. So young people who spend more time on their phones um, or using social media are more likely to drink than those who spend less time on their phones. So it doesn't make sense that more screen time would lead to less, less heavy drinking. drinking. Yeah. Oh, that's, so, wow, okay. I'm quite surprised about that. Um, yeah. Have you got an explanation for that, that the kids who spend more time on screen also tend to do binge drinking? Partly it's because they're more social kids. You know, if Are they? Well, young young people who are highly social are likely to spend a lot of time on social media and they're more likely to drink with their friends. There's also an income factor, but studies have tried to control for those kind of confounding factors and still find a link, and that could be due to exposure to advertising um, and imagery on social media that promote or glamorise drinking. What about the school decile thing, whether you live in a poorer community or whether you come from a a wealthier community? Does that have anything to do with whether you might be a binge drinker or not? Well, it's interesting that you ask because when we look at smoking, for example, there's a huge social gradient. You're much more likely to smoke if you go to a low decile school or live in a low-income community. But we don't see such a strong gradient with binge drinking. It's in, in this age group, it's quite common across the whole spectrum. And what's interesting about the decline is that that is also across demographic groups, across ethnicities. 
um, which is kind of unusual. Like typically when health behaviour changes, if we think of adult smoking, for example, typically it changes among the well-educated first um, and then flows through society, whereas this change amongst young people has been very rapid and across the board, which tends to suggest, you know, something in the environment changing rather than people becoming more aware of risks. Jude Ball is now seeking funding for qualitative research to look at changes in youth culture in the last 30 years and the place that drinking has in young people's lives. But if you thought teenagers are simply switching from drinking and smoking cannabis to smoking pee, that just doesn't show up in the data. And it's too soon to say that this generation is risk-averse. She says more research is urgently needed because there's a bit of a sting in the tail to this trend. These massive declines that we've seen have tailed off. They've plateaued and we're even seeing some signs of rising trends in drinking and smoking. So it is urgent to understand what on earth was going on to create this incredible decline because we need that knowledge to make sure we don't see smoking and drinking take off again and return to the levels we were seeing in the late 90s. So hang on, so there has been a rise in in some of this behaviour? Very tiny rises, so whether it's you know just a blip in the statistics or whether it's the beginning of an ongoing trend, we can't say yet. So this could be just a this weird sort of blip and that will revert to some old behaviour? Well, we just don't know. No. So that's... That's the frustration of not having a full understanding of why we've seen this massive shift. It makes it very difficult to predict what might happen next. I mean, if it is about teen culture and teen fashion and what happens to be cool, um, we could very well see, you know, a big upswing again. But I'd say if it's more about policies and um, maybe parental behaviours, then, you know, that's more likely to be a long-term change that will be sustained and can be you know, further supported through policy and social marketing and so on. One of the most fascinating aspects of doing this research for me was realising that a lot of the myths we have about the past being better, you know, that young people were more respectful or that family life was better in the past, they really don't stand up to scrutiny. So there have been some really big improvements in family life and in school life and in teen behaviour. And I think it would be great if young people got a bit more credit for being more responsible. Yeah, young people get a lot of bad press. I don't think they deserve it. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Jude Ball. Mā te wā.